Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 83rd program in this series. In this program, I'm beginning in John chapter 15. What this is, is this is the continuation of the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples at the end of the Last Supper, or the Last Passover. In John chapter 14, Jesus was having a conversation with his disciples, and at the end of John chapter 14, Jesus tells his disciples that it's time to go. In John chapter 14, verse 30, Jesus said, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, And he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. So the end of John chapter 14 was the end of the conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples at the place where they were having the last Passover. Jesus and his disciples leave that place and they are now going to go to what is referred to as the Garden of Gethsemane. They are now going to travel from wherever it was that they were having the last Passover, and they are going to go to the garden where Jesus is arrested. So somewhere in between these two places, Jesus continues this conversation with his disciples. And what he does is he repeats the same things that he said when they were at this place in John chapter 14. He is going to repeat what he already said. And so in John chapter 14, verse 30, he said, I will no longer talk much with you. He certainly has a lot to say. He continues to say many things, and we have those things recorded here in John chapter 15, 16, and 17. But most of what we have recorded in the following chapters is repetition of what he has already had to say. Most of it. He includes some more details. He does give more details concerning what he wants them to understand. But you still see a lot of repetition. The repetition is good because it does point out those things that Jesus definitely is expressing as being important. He is expressing the importance of the things that he is saying by repeating them, saying them again and again. Obviously, these things are very important. Now, it's also very important to remember that this is the transition between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The New Covenant is about to go into effect, but it is not yet in effect. The Old Covenant is still the covenant, it is still the description of how God relates to the people. Jesus is still functioning under the Old Covenant, and so when he speaks to his disciples 
about what they ought to be doing, what he tells them is going to be consistent with the covenant that is in effect. Now, the new covenant was described in the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 31. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. So he clearly says that there is going to be a new covenant, and it is not going to be like the other one. It is not going to be according to the covenant that he made with their fathers. That's Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 32. The covenant that he made with their fathers is the covenant that is known as the law of Moses, the commandments of God. That was the covenant. And the new covenant is not going to be like that. It is going to be different. Continuing into verse 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, in verse 33, he asserts that the knowledge of good and evil is going to be on people's minds, is going to be in their hearts. This means that there is going to be no confusion about what is right and wrong, about what is good and evil. There's not going to be any confusion about that, People are going to know. Our God will relate to us in a way that there will be an understanding. People will have an understanding of what the law of God is, what is good, what is evil. But that is not how we are going to function. This is something that we obviously know. People can tell what the difference is between good and evil. And people know what God expects. People can figure that out. And it's important for people to be confronted with these expectations and so that a person will recognize that they cannot fulfill the requirements of the law, that they cannot always do what is good, that they will do that which is evil. It is part of the process of conviction so that we will understand that we have a need for forgiveness, which he explains in the following verses, continuing into verse 34. No more shall every man teach his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. This explains the criteria through which people will know the Lord. The criteria will be that a person is forgiven of their sins, that their sins are no longer remembered by God, and we know that this is necessary for God to restore the Holy Spirit of God so that the Spirit of God would dwell within each person on an individual basis, and then, through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, we can begin to know the Lord. 
which is at the beginning of verse 34. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest. Who are they? Who are these people? These are the people who are made into children of God, who surrender to the new covenant, who experience the benefit of the forgiveness of sins, the restoration of the Holy Spirit, that which makes them spiritually alive so that they are made into a new creation. They are made into a child of God. The Spirit of God dwells within them who can guide them and lead them into all truth. This is what Jesus is proclaiming. He is telling his disciples that this is about to happen. It is going to happen soon. It has not happened yet, but it is about to happen. So in the meantime, between the time of this last Passover and the time when the new covenant goes into effect, what would you expect Jesus to continue to tell his disciples? You would expect him to tell his disciples to continue to try to obey the commandments of God. Be true and be consistent with the covenant that is in effect the old covenant, which is what he does. For example, in John chapter 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. Do they keep his commandments? No. So it does show that they don't love Jesus. And I explained this in the previous messages, that this is an important thing for people to get in touch with and to understand that they don't love God, that there really is something wrong with them, and that they need something different than the Old Covenant because the Old Covenant is not going to work out for anyone. This is why God had to make the provision for another covenant. So this is the transition between the two. Jesus proclaims, the new covenant that is coming. But he teaches and he reinforces the importance of the disciples to continue to be true to the old covenant as this is what will prepare them for surrendering to the new covenant. They do not know the Lord. They do not know him. That was explained by Jesus well in the previous chapter in John chapter 14. In verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? No, he didn't know him. The disciples didn't understand. They didn't get it. This is what I was explaining in the previous messages in John chapter 14. So we do not yet have the invocation of the new covenant. It is coming. It is about to happen. There are transitions that people have to go through in order to get to it. So continuing into John chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus presents an illustration. They leave the place where they were at. They are now making their way to the garden where Jesus is going to be arrested and Jesus gives them this illustration of the vine and the branches. And then he repeats again the same things that he said in chapter 14. Beginning in John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. 
and every branch that bears fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. And so Jesus gives them this illustration of the vine and the branches in order to emphasize the point that they need to abide in him, that they need to be recognized as the branches of God. And if they are not, or if they do not fulfill the expectations of what it means to be a branch of the vine, then they are going to be cut off and they are going to be thrown into the fire, which is an illustration of being thrown into hell. Now, based on our understanding of the Old Covenant, no one is going to abide in the vine, to use this illustration, perfectly. No one is going to obey the commandments of God perfectly. If we skip ahead just for a moment to verse 10, he says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Well, who's going to keep his commandments? No one is going to succeed at keeping the commandments. Therefore, everyone, every single person who finds themselves in a situation where they are considered to be a branch of the vine, they're not going to make it. No one will make it. The day will come when they are going to be recognized as a branch that does not keep the commandments adequately. They're going to be cut off and thrown into the fire. This is consistent with the message that Jesus has been teaching since he began his ministry. It's the same message. It is the same covenant. It's just described in a different way. Now, if you skip ahead again to verse 12, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay, so if we were to narrow this down and to suggest that it's just one commandment, that's it. It's not commandments plural necessarily. Let's just try this one. Well, you go ahead and you try it and see how you do. See if you love others as God has loved you. And you will discover that you can't do it, that you won't do it. So again, you will be a branch that is cut off and thrown into the fire. The only way that a person is going to be saved is through a different covenant. There's going to have to be another covenant that is coming, but it is not here yet. So going back up to verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Well, in this statement, you could suggest that as long as someone is bearing some fruit, some fruit of some kind, 
as long as there is something in their life that represents a change in who they are, as long as it's something, well, that could be good enough. Now, is this what Jesus was intending to say in verse 2? It could be that he was intending to say, look, as long as you can bear something, anything, then you're still a branch. It could be that this is what he was intending to say. It is my opinion that the primary message that he was communicating to his disciples, the primary message was that they were not going to be able to bear enough. But as a secondary subtlety, there is room for us to know that, for us to understand that. We do know that in the New Covenant, this is true, that we expect there to be some kind of change of some kind, and whatever that is, is evaluated by God, not by us. We know that this is true in the New Covenant. What I'm saying is that there is some uncertainty as to what Jesus was intending to say here in verse 2. There just is some uncertainty. He goes on and he says, And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Using this illustration, he would say that if a person is actively experiencing change and growth and maturity in their relationship with him, in who they are as a person, then God will continue to work with them. And we know that this is true in the New Covenant. We know this is true. What we don't know is that this is what Jesus was intending to say for certain in verse 2. In accordance with the Old Covenant, no one would make it that far. No one would make it to the point where God would do a continual work with them because their failure would justify his cursing them, holding their sins against them, bringing judgment upon them, things like that. So continuing into verse 2, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, the word clean being used here in this version appears to be undefined. What does that mean, to say that they are clean because of the word which Jesus has spoken to them? We don't have enough information to know really what Jesus was intending to say. So what people will do is they will make some assumptions about what they think that means. And the most common assumption or belief that people hold to is that the disciples are forgiven. I do not believe that this would be an appropriate definition for this word being used in this verse because the forgiveness had not yet been provided through the crucifixion. So when Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you, I don't think that he's talking about forgiveness, although a lot of other people will take the position that this shows that the disciples were acceptable to God, acceptable to God enough, probably because they were obedient enough. These are the kinds of discussions that people will have concerning verse 2. I personally have a bias towards this word related to the law. In the law, there are many laws that define a circumstance when a person is considered to be ritually unclean. It doesn't necessarily mean that they have sinned. 
It just means that due to the circumstances of life, they have found themselves in a condition where they are considered to be unclean. And when those circumstances show up, the person will normally be unclean until evening. They would leave the camp, they would leave the community until the sun went down, and there would often be an expectation that a person would go through a ritual immersion, they would take a bath, something like that. They don't need to be supervised in order to have someone who can bear witness that they washed themselves. That was not part of the law. But when I see this word, that's the bias that I will tend to have. I will look at this and say that they are part of the community. They are part of the group. They are allowed in the camp. This does not mean that they are saved. It just means that they're considered to be part of the group. Part of the group that Jesus has. Jesus has his disciples. And while they don't understand much of anything, at least it's a start. At least it's a beginning. They are going to be saved soon. We can wait till then. So in the meantime, they are not officially saved, but they are clean. They're part of the community. They can be in the camp. That's verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. They are clean because they believe what Jesus has told them. They believe enough. They understand enough. He continues into verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Continuing into verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And this is an important point for them to understand. Obviously, without him, they can do nothing. That is consistent with the covenant that is in effect. That is consistent with the law. They can do nothing. They can't do it. They cannot do enough. They can't make it on their own. They have no hope whatsoever. Without Jesus, they can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. That is a description of hopelessness. And hopelessness is important for them to really embrace. They need to get to that point of absolute desperation, absolute hopelessness, so they can be valid recipients of the forgiveness of God and the invocation of the new covenant when God will remember their sins no more. That is coming. That is approaching. So they are to get ready for that. And this is part of that. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, with him, they can still do nothing, but definitely apart from him, they can't do anything. They cannot do anything with him because, again, they still need to be made into a new creation. They have not yet been made into a new creation in Christ Jesus. So, with him, they still can't do anything. Remember what was going on in chapter 14 before they left and went on this walk. Remember what Jesus said. You don't know me. You don't get it. You don't understand. There were many ways that he expressed this to them. 
Obviously, he is with them. He's right there. He's in their presence. You would think that if anyone was in his presence and for several years in his presence, that they would get it. But they don't. They don't get it. So even if they abide with him, they abide in him, they still can't do anything. They still can't do anything. Continue into verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. The disciples are at risk of experiencing this because they have not yet been resurrected. They have not yet been saved. This is coming. This is about to happen. They will be saved. They will be resurrected. But that transition has not yet happened. And I will continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 83rd program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. This is the continuation of the conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples at the end of his ministry. These are the things that Jesus told his disciples just before he was arrested. What he does is he continues to tell them to live in obedience to the commandments. This is the covenant that is still in effect. He encourages them to continue to live in this way. And we know that the result of a person's pursuit of living in obedience to the commandments will lead them to the point of recognizing that they have no hope outside of the grace and mercy of God. So they will be prepared for when Jesus provides them with the forgiveness of sins, the restoration of the Holy Spirit that he continues to proclaim, they will then be saved and they will be ready to grow in the new covenant. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net thank you